The following message was preached at Gospel City Church, a church that seeks to cast a gospel net for the people of Kuala Lumpur. All right. Good morning, church. It's good to be with you and uh, opening up the Word of God and studying it today. So today we want to continue our study in the book of First Peter. So take your Bible, uh, however you might have it, uh, whether it's an actual book or an app or some other form, uh, open to First um, Peter chapter 5, verses, uh, I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 5. Follow along as I read. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we rejoice this morning to be gathered in this place as a faith family, and we rejoice in the technology that you have provided that, that those who cannot be with us here in this place this morning can join us uh, through Zoom. Father, above all things, we rejoice in the fact that we have Jesus as our Lord and Savior, who has called us to himself to be our King we rejoice in that because we know that apart from Christ's life and death for us, we would not know the joy of salvation, and we wouldn't know the thrill of knowing you as our Father. Father, as we study this passage this morning, would you use it to instruct us and to encourage us, to challenge us, and to mold us? as we respond appropriately to your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In case you don't know who I am, my name is Chris. I'm one of the elders here at Gospel City Church, and uh, it's the first time I've been able to preach live with you guys in over a year and a half, at least a year and a half. So this is quite a privilege, and it just so happens that the passage that I get to preach this morning is about elders, and uh, I'm one of your elders. So how cool is that? If you know me, if you spent any time with me, you, you know that sports plays a bigger role than necessary in my life. Uh, it's just way too important to me, and uh, I confess that it, uh, yeah, it, it shouldn't be as important as it is, but it is. So some of you are thinking, oh, he's going to say something about what happened last night. No, 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 we're going to forget that. What I want to talk to you about uh, really as I get into this is what happened this week. 
Uh, I grew up in the city of Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, all right. And I was born in the 70s, so I'm 46 years old this year, and uh, we got some feedback. All right, thank you. And, and so as I was born into the city of Atlanta, I was given this professional baseball team called the Atlanta Braves as a team that I was supposed to support. I loved playing baseball as a kid. I loved watching baseball. Everybody in my family watched baseball together. And it was great, except for one thing. We were awful. I mean, we were the worst team ever. And year after year after year, we lost. And then there was one year, I think back in 1982, that we, we won our division. It was like, oh, this is cool. But we, we failed in the playoffs, and we didn't win a championship. And, and then we got bad again, and we suffered and suffered and suffered. And then all of a sudden, in the 90s, hey, we, we had a good team again. And, and we won, and then we finally won a championship, and then we started being bad again. And, and as a fan of this team, you were taken to these high highs and these low lows. And, and you had all these expectations as a supporter of the Atlanta Braves baseball team. You had expectations because as the team got better, your expectations grew and you expected to win the championship. And every year you would get just almost there and then we would just, we would fail. And it was miserable, miserable. 26 years ago, we actually won the championship and we were supposed to, and it was kind of a relief, right? It was like, okay, we finally did it. And we've been waiting 26 years to win another championship. And I can't tell you the number of heartaches a sports fan of the Atlanta Braves has been through in 26 years to the point where I just, I couldn't even bear watching it anymore. It was so painful because we wanted to be good. We wanted to win, but we couldn't. We just failed time after time. And then this week, I don't know how this happened this year, this team that we had, we had great talent, but we had injuries and all kinds of personal problems on the team and, and no one expected us to win. And then all of a sudden we got good. We started playing well. We started, we started getting outs and getting hits and scoring runs and started beating good teams. And all of a sudden we found ourselves in the championship series, the world series. And we were playing against this one team that's like the evil empire of baseball. And there's no way that our little Braves are going to beat this big team. And then we won a game. It's a best of seven series. And, and we lost a game. And then we won a game. And then we won another game. And it was like, oh, we only have to win one more game and we might win. And if you're a Braves fan, you know not to believe that you're going to win. Because it just, it's never going to happen. And so what happens? We lost. Oh, see, I knew it was going to happen. And then we get to game six. And we're up 3-2. And all of a sudden, we, we, hit, we hit three home runs. We hit a ball out of the stadium. And it's like, wait a second. <laughs> we might actually win this thing. And we keep getting outs. We get to the last inning. And we get an out and a second out. And it's like, wait, <laughs> one more out and we're champions? Are you kidding me? This, this can't be. We're still going to bottle it. There's no way we can win this. We're still going to lose. And, and the pitcher threw the pitch, the hitter hit the ball, our shortstop caught it, threw it to first base, out, and all of a sudden we were crowned 
Champions. Champions. Incredible. Now, why do I tell you that story? Because most of you could care less. Most of you have never even seen a baseball game. And if you've watched it, you think it's the most boring thing you've ever seen. Well, why do I tell you that story? Massimo came up here and he said that at Gospel City Church, we like to rehearse the story of the gospel every week. We look at creation and redemption and the fall, uh, creation, the fall, redemption and restoration. As a sports fan, one of the things that you do is you rehearse the story of your team. And this past week, I can't tell you, we won the World Series on Wednesday, and I've gone back and I've watched videos, and I've contacted friends who are fellow supporters with me, and we rejoice at all of these things. And what's the point? Why, why would I share that? Because that's what we do as a church family. I mean, sports is this little, this little thing in eternity. But when we gather together and we sing these songs and we open up the word of God and we, we declare what we believe about Jesus, what we're doing is, is we're looking back and we're seeing, you know what, we had all these expectations. There was a, there was a people, there was a people who were looking for a savior. They were looking for a savior and they had specific expectations of how that savior would come. And the Savior came, and yet he didn't meet their expectations. He didn't come in the way they expected him to come. They, they, looked him, they looked at him, and they wondered, is this the Messiah? Even the one, the messenger, the prophet, who God the Father sent to prepare the way for Jesus, questioned Jesus. Are you the one who we are waiting for? And so there's all these expectations, and yet all these people were looking and expecting and hoping, and yet they were disappointed. And some of them bought into this idea that Jesus was the Messiah, and they followed him, and they were excited. And then all of a sudden, he was arrested. And they thought, well, our Savior can't be arrested. He's the, he's the King of Israel. Who's going to arrest him? And he was arrested, but not only was he arrested, he was taken and he was nailed to a cross. And just when the people of Israel thought that they were about to win the greatest triumph in the world, here they see the one who is supposed to save them and restore them nailed on a tree. And they've read their law, they've read their Bible, and they know that cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And so they were right there. They thought they were going to win. And they, now they feel like they're going to lose. And Jesus died on a cross. And he was taken and he was buried in a tomb. And three days later, some ladies went to the tomb to take care of the body. And he wasn't there. And Peter, the author of the letter that we're studying, ran to the tomb to see where Jesus was, and he wasn't there. And then Jesus appears to his followers and tells them that he has risen from the grave, and that by rising from the grave, he has defeated sin and Satan, and he has defeated all the powers, and in him is victory and salvation from sin. And you know what the followers of Jesus did? 
they went and they told everybody. They said, hey, this guy, Jesus, is our king. He's our savior. He's the one we expected. He's the one in whom all of our hopes and our desires have been met in. There's a lot of similarities between sports fans and followers of Jesus. There's a lot of similarities because you see for 2,000 years, those of us who follow Jesus, we gather weekly, but even more than weekly, to rehearse this story, to remember how at the most bleakest moment, in when our desires to be freed from sin and freed from fear and freed from all of the things that trap us and encase us, we rehearse this story that Jesus, Jesus has taken our sin. He's paid the penalty for that sin. And he's provided us with the opportunity to know him, to be united with him, to know the Father, and to rejoice in the victory that he has provided that only he could provide. What does all that have to do with this? You know, we, those of us who are preachers and, and teachers here at GCC, we have conversations once a week talking about the passage that we're going to preach, and, and, and we always give feedback and stuff. And I already know what the feedback I'm going to get this week is. Like, Chris, get to the passage. Get to the passage. And I'm always the one saying, don't have long introductions. But, but I'm trying to set it up because, because you need to hear that story so that when you read verse 1, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Peter, who has written to a church, he's saying, okay, amongst the church, there are elders in the church. I'm a fellow elder, and so I want to say something specific to the elders in your church. But not only as a fellow elder, but as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Why is Peter writing this letter? Yes, there's persecution. There are people who are suffering. There is discouragement. There is turmoil. There is fear. There is all kinds of things that, that the people of God are experiencing. And Peter is writing to say, let me remind you who I am. But who I am isn't important. Let me remind you who he is. And I can tell you who he is, who Jesus is, because I walked with him. I, I talked with him. I, I watched him suffer. And you can say, well, Jesus, he didn't Peter deny Jesus. He wasn't. He didn't see suffering. Well, Peter did see suffering. Peter saw Jesus arrested. Peter was at a distance, and he saw Jesus being questioned. From a distance, he saw Jesus being hanged on a tree. And, and through all of that, Peter, Peter had to struggle with, with his own guilt and his own shame for denying Jesus. And yet he comes and he says, I, I've seen these things. And he says, I've witnessed these sufferings, and 
I'm a partaker of the glory that's going to be revealed. Peter's been restored. He's not only been restored to a right relationship with Jesus, but he's been restored and called by Jesus to be a shepherd of the flock. At the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus calls Peter to himself and says, Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Peter knows what it's like to be discouraged. He knows what it's like to be fearful. He knows what it's like to be falsely accused. He knows what it's like to be uh, beaten because he suffered for Jesus. And he knows the glory that's to be revealed. Remember, it was Peter was one of the three disciples who was with Jesus when Jesus went and he had this moment of glorification when he met with Moses and Elijah on the mountain. And, and, and Peter, you know, if you'll remember the story, Peter like put his foot in his mouth. He said, hey, should we, should we build a, a tent here, one for you and one for Elijah and one for Moses? And Jesus like, no, 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 you don't get it. And Peter's always kind of saying some funny stuff. Peter saw, he had a foretaste of the glory that was to be revealed when he saw Jesus. And now he knows that those of us who are in Christ, we have this victory that we can rest in and that we can hope in, that we can look to and that we can exalt in because there is a glory that is coming. So, Peter tells the elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. How do you do that? How do you shepherd the flock of God that's among you? Well, first he says, shepherd them well. Shepherd them well. Exercise oversight. Exercise oversight. As a, as a father, a loving father, exercises oversight over his family and his household. Not under compulsion. What does that mean? Not somebody forcing you and twisting your arm and making you do it, but doing it willingly and even joyfully as God would have you. you know, back in uh, the letter of 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy and he's instructing Timothy on how to appoint elders in the church in Ephesus. And he tells Timothy that anyone who aspires to the office of overseer aspires a good thing. You, you don't want to have elders and pastors who are doing it because someone's forcing them to do it. You want to have pastors and elders who want to do it, who feel compelled by the Holy Spirit, feel compelled by God calling them and leading them and equipping them to shepherd the flock of God. You see, I use the term elder and overseer interchangeably because in the New Testament, the term for elder and overseer, and pastor, and shepherd, they're used synonymously. Even here we see, right? Elder, be an elder. Uh, I'm a fellow elder with you elders. Shepherd, what do you do? You shepherd, right? What's the word shepherd? Pastor, right? Be a pastor. Elders, pastors, same thing. So, you, so shepherd the flock who's among you. Don't do it because someone's making you do it because you want to. Not 
for impure motives. Being a pastor, being an elder, is not the pathway to riches and fame and treasure, at least earthly treasure, right? So some people, unfortunately, have taken gospel ministry and and turned it into some sort of lucrative business. And and we we see uh, charlatans and and those who seek their own gain at the expense of their flock. Perhaps you've, you've seen some of these health and wealth prosperity teachers who say, give, 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 make a seed offering to me, and God will make me rich, and maybe one day God will make you rich too if, if you have enough faith. We're not to, we're not to exercise oversight as, as one seeking to build our own treasures. We're not to do it in a domineering way, we're told in verse 3, those of us who are elders. Do not lord it over your flock, right? Can, you can hear Jesus' words, can't you? I mean, Peter, his instructions are just infused with Jesus' with Jesus's teachings. Jesus said you should not be as the Gentiles who lord over who lord their leadership over people. No, no, no. You you serve. You serve. Peter had a had a real, real experience with Jesus. It was somebody that he walked with, was somebody that he knew intimately with somebody that he had disappointed and felt shame from and been restored. And now, as a follower of Jesus, who was empowered by the Holy Spirit in his life, he desired for all people to know. Not just to know the gospel story, but to know the person of Jesus. And how in the world were they supposed to know Jesus when Jesus had ascended to heaven? Well, Jesus told Peter, as the Father sent me, so send I you. Now, Peter tells us earlier in the letter, in chapter 2, verse 21, he says, uh, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. So Christ is our example, but notice what he says here, now that he's writing to the elders in verse 3. Don't domineer, don't lord it over your people with a strong iron fist. No, you do it in service. How? By being an example. By being an example to the flock. The the call of someone to the office of elder or to the function of shepherding and being a pastor is about walking with Jesus and modeling Jesus for the church. Now, someone doesn't get put into the office of elder or pastor and then become this way. No, someone exhibits this type of life, and the church recognizes and affirms and calls that person into that position. At least that's how we do it at Gospel City Church. Now, I could get into all the details about how different churches do things differently. And so um, 
I'm not going to do that. I want to talk to you about Gospel City Church right now. What I want to do is I, all of this kind of like big picture stuff, I want to bring it down really practical for who we are and what we do here at Gospel City Church. Those of you who have been around with us for a long time, you might remember that when we formed as a church, we didn't have elders. We didn't have pastors or overseers in our church. We said, we're a new church. And, and we, we all covenant together to follow Jesus together. But because we're new and we're a new community, uh, we don't know each other well enough to appoint elders. We haven't seen people demonstrate their faithfulness to fill this office. And after several months of being a church, uh, it was put forward to nominate elders according to our constitution. And Manhan and Massimo and myself were appointed, affirmed, voted in as elders of this church by you, the covenant partners of GCC. And we serve at your pleasure. We seek to serve the church. We, we didn't take this office for the church to serve us, but we took this so that we could serve you. And I think one of the ways, one of the most important ways that we can serve you is through modeling what it looks like to walk with Jesus, but also uh, in the way that we teach. Luther, you know, we just celebrated the Reformation last week, right? Was that last week? Yeah, it was last week. Uh, Martin Luther, he rightly stated that we shepherd God's flock by preaching the gospel. And so we shepherd through the way that we live our lives and the way that we teach and the way that we preach. And we seek to shepherd in so many ways. But um, let me tell you a few things that, that we need as elders from you guys from our covenant partners. Number one, we need your prayers. We need your prayers because, uh, you know, some commentators have made the argument that the reason that Peter specifically writes or specifically has some instructions for the elders is because that in the period of persecution and suffering that the church was going through, that perhaps the elders would be the ones who would be targeted first and experience some of the most severe persecution and suffering. We don't see that in the text. It's not there. It's speculation from the commentators. Um, but it's, it's possible. And so I ask as one of the elders, pray for your elders. Pray for us. We're not super spiritual Christians, right? We desperately need your prayers. Remember that we are covenant partners. Even though we, we serve this office of elder, and so we do have some oversight over the church, we are not elders first. We are members first. We're Christians first. We're covenant partners in GCC before we are elders. So just as you hold one another accountable, we ask you, hold us accountable. We want to be held accountable. We want to serve and lead, but we do not want to rule. We want to be known. 
We don't want to be aloof. We don't want to be separated from the church. Um, we want to be with you. We want to have you in our homes, and we want to be with you in your homes, and we want to go eat meals with you, and we want to serve with you in the highways and the byways. We also want more of you to serve with us as elders. Did you know that our church in our constitution has a statement about the elders that we will have a minimum of three elders? And an elder can serve in this church two consecutive terms of three years each. So that means that an elder can serve for six years, and then the elder must rotate off the elder board for a year sabbatical before the church can reappoint someone back to the board of elders. Well, guess what? Uh, Massimo, Manhunt, and myself, we just completed our first three-year term. We just, you just, a few weeks ago, uh, reaffirmed us into our second three-year term, which means that in less than three years, Massimo, Manhunt, and myself cannot serve as your elders. Oh, we're going to have a problem, right? I mean, we need more elders. Where are we going to find elders? Are we going to go down the street to the seminary and ask the seminary to give us their, their best and brightest? No. I teach at the seminary. No. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with the caliber of student at the seminary. It has nothing to do with the caliber of student at the seminary. It has everything to do with the caliber of covenant partner at GCC. The reason that we structured our church in this way is because we believe God called this church to be a church that nurtures, equips, and transforms. That, that we nurture believers, not that the elders nurture believers, but that Gospel City Church nurtures believers. And that, that the church equips one another. Not that the elders equip one another, but the church equips one another. So we have equipped groups. And we have people who teach equip groups who are not elders because as covenant partners in GCC, we take on that responsibility together to equip one another. And as a church, we seek to bring about transformation first in our own lives. So as we're nurtured and equipped, our lives are transformed individually. And as we are transformed, our families and our communities and our workplaces are transformed as our lives are transformed. It's not that the elders do it. No, you do it. So we need to identify at least three new elders. And we don't have to wait for three years. We can do it whenever. We're not bound by any time frame, except how long an elder can serve. But you know, we could have 12 elders at one time if we had qualified men to serve as elders. So I'll just tell you, Massimo, Manhunt, and I, we, we have our elders meetings, and we pray for the church, and we talk about the church, and we talk about who is God working in? Who do we see God raising up and shepherding and, and transforming? Who who fills these qualifications that GCC has said the, the scriptures state for an elder? 
And we've recognized some people and we've asked some people, but for different reasons, real valid reasons, no one has been able to step up to serve as an elder. Doesn't mean that anyone is bad or broken or anything. It just means that at this time, we haven't been able to find the right person at the right time. But I'm asking you as a church to pray for us and to pray for your future elders. That the future elders would be identified so that they can be appointed, so that they can serve and exercise oversight and model what it looks like to love the church and to love their family and to love their community as Christ has loved the community. All of that has something to do with shepherding well. It's not only, I want to be careful how I say this, it's not only the character of the person who fills the office, but I want you to realize and I want you to appreciate that the way that you as a covenant partner have helped to structure this church, we have built in an identity as people who want to serve and who want to lead through service. We, we have created some ways to protect ourselves from elders who would be domineering, who, who would be motivated in the right ways. You know, none of us who are on the elder board are paid by Gospel City Church. We're, in essence, lay elders. We're not paid by the church to serve you. The day may come when the church decides that we need to hire somebody to be a pastor. But we're not there yet. and No one has said that we need to do that. So we're not motivated by greed. So pray for us. Pray for those who are serving as elders and pray for those who God would raise up. And let me ask you, if, if, you're, if you're a man in this church, let me just let me put this out here for you. Our desire as elders is for every man in this church to one day be qualified to serve as an elder. To be grown up and matured in the Lord and to love him and walk with him in such a way that someone could rightfully say that man is qualified to serve as an elder. That's what we want to see. That's who we want this church to be. All right. We do that through humility. And I don't say we as in the elders, I say we as in the church. We do all of this through humility. We should be characterized as a church as humble. Notice in verse 5, Peter says, You who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, not just the younger, but the younger and the elders, everyone, all of you, with humility toward one another. In the same way that motor oil allows the engine of a car to function smoothly, humility is the oil in a church that allows relationships to operate smoothly and lovingly. 
is we are humble toward one another. Pride gets upset when someone doesn't follow me. If you're upset that someone's not following you or doing what you want them to do, check your pride. That's your pride speaking. I have this like one big point, shepherd the flock well, and then like two little points. One, we do it humbly in humility. But the other thing I want you to see as I bring this to a close here in just a moment is that a hope in future glory births this humility. I was really struggling with what to call the sermon. And Massimo, you know, messaged me, hey, well, what's the title? You know, I was like, well, let's call it Hope Births Humility or Hope in Humility. I don't know. It, when I look at this passage and I consider what Peter has said to the church, hope and humility kind of have this symbiotic relationship. We, we have hope, and, and because we have a hope that has been accomplished and realized, we can exist in humility. We're not trying to prove anything to anyone, but rather because Christ has already won and accomplished for us the thing that we desire the most, to know God, to be known by Him, to be cleansed from our sins, to walk guilt-free and shame-free, we don't have to like be boastful over other people. We come alongside them in humility. We're even willing to be humiliated in order that others might know. And why are we able to walk in that way? Because we have a hope that's been realized. It's been accomplished. It's not something that we're just like, well, maybe it'll work out. No, it's, it's done. It's finished. Remember, look at what... Go back to the very first verse. I am a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter is certain that glory will be revealed. He's seen it, and he knows that it's coming again. And then Peter tells us, he tells the elders, when the chief, the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There's a reward. There's a reward for walking humbly with God. There's a reward. The reward is, I mean, we could say the reward is salvation, but it seems as though there's something more than that. And then he tells the whole church, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Grace is a reward. Grace is something that's freely given, but it's also a reward. It's not a reward that we deserve. Let's be straight about that. But it's a reward nonetheless. So as we look to Jesus and the hope that we have in him, in the cross, in the empty tomb, and as we walk humbly because that hope is actualized and and been fulfilled, we, we have this ability to walk in victory and in humility as we seek to live out joy and live out service. It's not easy. It's something that must be cultivated. And that's why we gather. That's why we come together on a weekly basis to open up the scriptures 
to read them, to rehearse the gospel story, to sing the songs, to pray, to confess sin, to confess truth. That's why we take the Lord's Supper on a regular basis to be reminded of the body broken for us and the blood shed for us. That's why we talk about what we've learned because we, we have to cultivate our hope and we have to cultivate our humility as we seek to love one another in Christ and build one another up and Lord willing, become a church that is known not only in Echo City, but a church that is known throughout Malaysia and the rest of the world as a church that loves the lost, that equips believers and transforms the world for Jesus Christ. Will you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for the chance to open up your word and share with you, uh, share with the church what you have communicated to us through Peter. God, work in us, change us, mold us to be the men and women of God you've called us to be so that you are magnified through our lives individually and through our life as a church. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We invite you to learn more about Gospel City Church at gospelcitychurch.my.